Welcome to Episode 1 of Networks at Work, a podcast series focusing on social capital, our connections, networks, and relationships, and the value that arises from them. This episode, Close-Knit Communities for Better Outcomes, Using Peer Groups, looks at how human service programs use peer group approaches to help participants share experiences, build stronger networks, and develop more personal relationships. Anita Brown-Graham, director of the NC Impact Initiative, helps us learn more in an interview with Mariana Chilton and Veronica Taylor of Building Wealth and Health Networks. They connected over Zoom at the beginning of the COVID-19 shutdown. Anita? Welcome to Networks That Work. I am so excited to have with me today Mariana Chilton and Veronica Taylor. We're going to tell us a little bit about the program they've built. It's called Building Wealth and Health Networks. I want to start with you, Mariana. And of course, we've had the pleasure of working together on a project funded by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, which is seeking to understand how human services programs and help participants build and use social capital. Let's start by having you clarify for us what we mean when we say peer groups. Well, peer groups are a way of um, bringing people together um, in ways that are egalitarian. So a peer group can have people of all different ages, um, all different ethnic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, um, and life experiences. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has to have had the same experience or be the same age. So I think the most important feature of a peer group is that everyone is considered to be an, equ- an equal or an, an, a part of the circle. Um, there's no sense of hierarchy in a peer group originally. Sometimes hierarchies get, do get developed because natural leaders start to emerge. But for me, that's, I think that that's the most important thing. It's also in the context of um, the Building Wealth and Health Network, we really wanted to make sure that there were opportunities for people who've had similar experiences with participating in welfare, trying to um, get out of poverty, trying to earn a living wage, learning how to connect with each other, felt like they could be welcomed into the group um, in a way of um, real hospitality and, and welcome, no matter who you are and what your experience. So would you tell us a little bit more about the Building Wealth and Health Networks program in particular? The Building Wealth and Health Network is a program that uh, is co-created with people who uh, are currently participating in welfare or TANF, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, um, or other people who are on who are receiving any type of public assistance who have young children. Um, the network started, we call it the network for short. So the network for us is really the most powerful word because it's this idea of a peer network. Um, we started it in 2014 and we built it because we recognize that families often don't have opportunities to come together in a group to share their experiences and to find opportunities for healing from traumas they may have experienced in their own lives or traumas in their communities, addressing collective trauma. I hope we can talk about that a little later. And the other um, idea is that the network is meant to help people build wealth. 
in a way that's celebratory and joyous. So we help people get bank accounts. And then as people put in savings into their account, we will match their savings. So we help people double their money. The point of helping people to get a savings account, first of all, is to help build wealth, but it's also to help people have an opportunity to think about their future, to pay themselves first, and to see that there's life tomorrow, there's life a year from now, there's life for, you know, 20 years from now. So it's this idea of developing a sense of future and being able to invest in it. That for me is is one of the best ways to think about the network. The last thing I wanted to say about the Building Wealth and Health Network is that we're shifting all the time according to the interests and engagement of our members. And so the members have a lot of say in how the network continues to grow and adapt and to flourish. Thank you, Mariana. So Veronica, let me turn to you to ask you to tell us a little bit about your role with the network and then to share what the words peer group mean for you. Uh, Being a part of the network, um, it's been a lot of fun. I would have to say that it's been a a bit of an eye-opening experience. Uh, What it means to be a peer group now versus what it meant before it started was something different. Uh, Because now when I look at a peer group, I can see that it's about uh, camaraderie. It's about um, organizing our goals and aiming towards them. Um, And it's about sharing our experiences. So all of that's fairly consistent with what we've learned from people like Mariana in this project. While some of the programs have peer groups with membership that evolves over time, many try to develop cohorts so that the same individuals regularly meet with each other, strengthening the bonds that develop between them. This consistency can build relationships in which participants learn from, draw strength from, and feel personally responsible to others. We well, looked at a- you're saying it's like describing the network for me because when I, I came love in, it. So when I first came in on the third class was a about trauma, which was scary for me. And something uh-huh. came up that made me just leave the whole building. But I went outside and I thought about it for a second. I said, well, if I'm so bothered by it, maybe I need to go back inside and find out how I can make it better. And when I went back in, nobody judged me. Nobody asked me no questions. I just sat back down and I continued to participate. But that helped me for for, for future times, like when somebody else had a moment to just be quiet and give them a chance to work it out. So it was like a a shared respect was built. Veronica, Mariana said earlier that the networks are providing support that people sometimes don't have um, in their regular lives. And so, so, so talk some more about how different it was for you to be in a place where someone asked you, how are you? And they really wanted to know. It was awesome because I had a lot of things going on that needed to be uncovered, but I wasn't willing to just say, listen, this is what I got going on. Um, I also needed to know the steps that it would take to get out of where I was. So being a part of the peer group for that reason um, was a big deal. It's not like talking to your family who, even though you're related, you can't pick them. You know, so being a part of a peer group, everybody has a choice to be there. So that choice alone makes you respect each individual person that they're trying to be better. So I really enjoyed a peer group a lot better. And I could go to my family and say, listen, this is what I learned today. So now I'm carrying all of this cool information to them and helping them grow, too. So Mariana, hearing Veronica talk about this has to give you goosebumps. It certainly does for me. Talk a little bit about how you see these peer groups affecting 
your program outcomes. I'm sort of intrigued by a program that is about building wealth and health and is using networks to do that. What, you know, we really wanted to make sure that um, people had opportunities to take their own time and to um, work on the things that they wanted to work on. No one should be telling other people what to do in order to um, earn more money and to and to be healthy. I think people nat- have a natural tendency to um, try to stay healthy, to um, to aspire to living a full and active and enjoyous life. We all have that intention. But sometimes we just don't have enough opportunity. So if you have a peer group, it allows you to kind of try some things out, to hear what other people are saying. And then there's lots of research on this, on group connectedness, that people start to tune into each other. And when you can tune in and start to really feel each other, there becomes sort of this opportunity for healing. Like nature is sort of working on herself through us. So we think that what makes, so the positive outcomes from the Building Wealth and Health Network are pretty phenomenal. We know that this program helps to reduce depression by about 40%. And because we're measuring this at the beginning and in the middle and at the end after a year. So we're able to help people reduce their their feelings of um, isolation and feeling blue. Uh, feeling like having lost pleasure in things. Those are, those are manifestations of depression. Our program also improves economic security. So we know that we've helped people improve their food security, their ability to pay their rent, to pay their rent on time and to pay their utility bills. We call that array of things, economic security. So um, it's pretty phenomenal because we're, we're, and we're not helping with therapy, with direct therapy. We're not providing any pills. We're not even providing food. We're hardly providing a lot of money. We're helping people save money, but it's this idea of being a part of the group. And I think having your own bank account and being able to see that build builds a sense of mastery and control and agency that um, a lot of people often don't get an opportunity to do. So that's where I think the, social, the peer group piece really works. It's the coming together, the attunement, sort of just being a human being. Help us understand how you go about setting up these peer groups to maximize the incredible program impacts you've just described? Well, in many ways, it takes a lot of thought. In other ways, it doesn't take much. At first, when we were thinking about this on paper, we were like, oh, well, we need to help group people towards their interests and their goals. You know, we want to help people who are interested in housing and housing justice to be together in a group. And we want people who are interested in starting their own business to be in a group. That actually um, is not the way to go. The way to go is just to allow the natural congregation of a group to align. And then because people's goals are constantly shifting and changing and people might develop new goals because they've heard somebody else talk about their goals. So the way that we do it is when we're um, recruiting people into the program, we've done a, a variety of different ways of recruiting. Go for it, Veronica. Well, I just wanted to just tell you how I came into the network, because it's true that they have the table at the, the public assistance office, but I was just transitioning off public assistance. So I just got my CDL. And so as the driver of the school bus, I had an attendant. The attendant was telling me about the incentives that the program offered because, you know, as women, we're always trying to figure out a way to make extra money. And Uh they had surveys at the time. She said, you can go. They got snacks. You can do the survey and you get your money today. So I went. But when I got there, I realized it was so much more than just some surveys. 
Um, so it's the recruitment comes when you provide something that people are attracted to. They'll pass the word on. So it's great to set up the tables. But once that word of mouth starts going, it does go a lot further than you might think. Yeah, if I could add on to that. Um, a lot of times uh, when people are applying for public assistance or trying to think about how to get some support from the state or from the government, it's a very transactional approach. Like, are you eligible or not? You are eligible. Show up here. That's sort of the dialogue that's, that happens. It's sort of between the state and an individual. When people see other members of the network, we help we, the people who've been through the program are a part of our recruitment for the next cohorts. So we're building, it's like a snowball effect. Um, they see potential peers. They see uh, be belonging to a group. They feel already an immediate sense of, okay, this is a friendly group. I might want to come back. And you know, the money helps, snacks help at the start, but it's much more about that social connection. And that's what I really mean by that. It makes you look at things differently. And I've been able to make connections with women, which I've never really been that able to do. So oh. now I'm, like I'm a part of a sisterhood where even though I'm a woman, I never felt like I was a part of before. That's it. That's interesting. So Veronica, can you give me a specific example of a time this sisterhood helped you achieve something that you otherwise would not have achieved? Um, I've learned things like when we come into the group, we all had the opportunity to bring a resource. So we all get excited when we find something out there that we can bring to the group that somebody else might be able to benefit from, like employment or a food bank or um, maybe some activity for our children. Uh, those kind of things. That's what really has helped me grow so much more. It seems like a light kind of went off inside of me that said, oh, there's so much more to do and there's opportunities to do it. If I could say we build that into the into the um, peer group structure, like you build a little bit of a structure for the peer group connection to happen. So we make sure that the facilitators are not taking a lead in the group. They're simply facilitating the resilience and the energy and the expertise of the people who are in the room. And so it's, it's very intentional for us to, every time we're doing a, a peer group meeting, we're asking, okay, who's got some resources? Who knows what, what's happening out in the neighborhood or you know, what's, what happened at the job fair last week? How did that go? And then you naturally have the members of the network connecting with each other and following up with each other about, oh, did you go and see that thing? Or I heard you're looking for a job, you know, uh, doing home health care. I saw this cool flyer and here you go. So it's a natural tendency to help each other. It's always there. People just need an opportunity to help each other, to just like a naturally occurring type of experience. Step back for a moment for me, both of you, and think about when you know a peer group is working well, when it's clicking, what are the indicators for you? When everybody shows up, that there have been times uh, when we go to a meeting and it's maybe only six people there and 15 minutes in and we're already doing community meeting, five more people come in and it starts to fill up and people are like notice each other and say, oh, how you doing? And, they, you know, we just start building on, on that kind of thing. It's a good feeling to know. And that's how you know that the, the thing is working. It actually is creating some kind of um, type of clinically relevant outcomes such as depression and economic security. And when we saw the numbers and they're so phenomenal um, and we were able to test it against a control group, we knew that the program was very, very powerful and very difficult to measure. It's very difficult to measure social capital and peer support and social support. Um, but we can measure food insecurity, economic security depression, those kinds of things. And so it's the anecdotal evidence, the emotional piece, people showing up, participating, and it's that research side that we were able to integrate. 
Veronica, has there been a moment where the peer network, the sisterhood, just wasn't that helpful to you? I can honestly say no. It's always worked for me. The only thing I would say I wouldn't have minded is the opportunity to do it again. Because, you know, when I went through it the first time, I had a different set of uh, circumstances that I was facing. Um, And then every week when you went in, there was a different kind of lesson to learn. So after community meeting and we did socialize, there was also a component of it that was about learning a lesson. It was about credit. It was about how we see ourselves, how other people see us. It was about the collective trauma. It was about a lot of different things and connecting us to the resources in our neighborhoods. So if I did it again now, um, I might receive the information a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the first time around, it's kind of like get your feet wet, see where you're at with it. And then if, if a people, if we were able to do it again, maybe level two could be more on the advance or one step up the ladder. So it's always worked for me. Um, I'd like to see more people uh, become a part of it as well. Wow. Wow. That, that's, I mean, that's as big a compliment as you can give a program, right? I'd, I would do it again. For me to show up, it's definitely a compliment. <laughs> Life is busy. Given that, Mariana, let me ask you, there are going to be program directors who are listening to this podcast and thinking about how they can be more intentional in using peer groups to support their programs. What advice would you offer and what cautions would you offer? I think the first piece of advice is to recognize that people want freedom and solidarity. They don't necessarily want to um, get help along a track, along a staircase. Now, we have these old-fashioned, totally outdated ideas about like a staircase or a ladder out of poverty or a bridge from a swamp to a lovely forest with a meadow. That is not how it works. It's much more, um, I think if people could let go of some of their old ideas about how to um, support other people is to create um, a generative and sort of a natural environment that feels um, a little bit like home and um, that's open and accepting to let go of trying to control others. That's number one. You'd be surprised if you just kind of release the release the controlling energy and just create opportunities for people to sit in a circle, not in rows, to maybe bring an extra toy and allow the natural process of social connecting to happen. That is my main piece of advice. And just make places more welcoming. Don't uh, have things around that say no eating, no drinking, no talking, go here, go there. Um, It should have flowers and maybe like a little, you know, electric fountain or a fish tank and comfortable chair. And and snacks. (laughs) And snacks. We have snacks. (laughs) Oh, and we always have coffee and tea and we're playing music in the background. So those are like little details that make it joyous and easygoing. My caution, however, is um, you can't force groups together. So if people don't really want to like naturally start to get into a group um, or if you have a one or two people that are hanging back, don't force it, let it be because there's opportunities for those who are hanging back. They may be watching and 
you know, two or three weeks later down the road or even six months down the road, they may be your greatest asset in the program. It's just they're watching and listening and feeling in. My other piece of um, advice is that basically all of us in the United States have experienced an enormous amount of trauma. And the stress is overwhelming from either your childhood, you may have had a violent childhood, or from racism, or um, gender-based violence, or patriarchy, or not being seen. That creates a sense of overwhelming stress. So learn more about trauma and using trauma-informed approaches. Our program uses what's called the sanctuary model, which recognizes that people need to show up whole as whole human beings and are often sort of sliced up. Don't show your emotion here and um, don't say too much. Whereas if you create a trauma-informed approach, it's a recognition that a lot of times when people are experiencing stress or behaving in certain ways, it could be a, um, a result of trauma that they've had in their past. We always have two facilitators in the peer group because sometimes it can get to the point where someone may be having a breakdown. Someone might be getting triggered or, you know, as, as Veronica said, she had to leave the room. She had to walk away. Well, sometimes people just need to walk away and get out of the situation, but other times they may need to walk away and just kind of, someone, the, one of the facilitators can leave the room and check on that person, see how they're doing. If they need to leave, okay, but you know, so that they know that they can come back in if they want. There are some other times where people are not so great at managing their emotions and they can get into a massive argument and then it allows you to have a little, you know, either the group will often stop the argument um, but there are other times when people need to leave. It's very rare that it happens, but it's not like everybody's getting together and singing beautiful, harmonious songs all the time. What other bits of advice would you give to someone who's reluctant to engage in this process that might help them sign up? I think that one thing I've learned along the way is that we all have a right oh. to have a successful life. We all have a right to deal with our stuff. Um, just because today I don't look pretty doesn't mean that I'm not beautiful. So if you go into a situation and you don't feel your best, give yourself a chance. Give the process a chance. Don't say nothing today. But eventually you'll find that you, you're willing to say something and it might just open up so much more inside of you. So don't block yourself. Believe in yourself and believe that you deserve to have a chance too. It seems like uh, prosperity was uh, relegated to a certain sect of people and everybody around me can't have any of that. Like that's for them over there. We are them over there. We just have to take that walk and get our way over there. And it's better together than it is when you try to do it by yourself. Beautiful. Mariana, are there any last words um, that you would offer to people listening to this podcast and trying to think through this opportunity of using peer groups to move program outcomes forward? I have two other uh, pieces of advice and encouragement. Um, the first one is most of the people that show up to your program are leaders, natural leaders, and they lead in ways that are um, not necessarily recognized. So they need opportunities to express leadership in the group. And that's what can happen in the peer group is that people start to take responsibility for each other. They ask how each other is doing. Oftentimes they may take over the facilitation of the group. 
So make sure that even after the program, offer opportunities for leadership. That's why anyone who's been through the network program is invited to join our advisory council and they can guide us and they, they give us other ideas about how to um, improve the program and how to help others understand how great the program is and um, how other states can do it. And, you know, Veronica and I have traveled to Washington, D.C. together to talk about the program and talk about the possibilities. So making sure that people have opportunities for leadership, number one. Number two, have some fun. Don't be so serious. Have a good time. Lots of laughter. That's how you know. That's When I could hear the groups happening, I would know that things were going well when I could hear bursts of laughter. Mariana and Veronica, thank you so much for this amazing and robust conversation. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Networks That Work. Please join us in our next episode, which will feature experts on using technology to build social capital. For more information on the topic of social capital, please visit ASPE's social capital landing page. It features case studies, research products, lodging models, and lots of other tools. You may find it at aspe.hhs.gov slash social dash capital. I'm Anita Brown-Graham, and you're listening to Networks That Work. Thank you again for listening to Networks That Work, a podcast about the networks and relationships that make up social capital. This is episode one of a three-part series. To listen to all of our episodes, go to Networks That Work wherever you listen to your podcasts.